Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to The Splash. I'm John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle, and my guest is the Giants' popular PA announcer, Rennell Brooks-Moon. In the first of a two-part podcast, we talk with Rennell about the weirdness of introducing players in an empty ballpark, her position as a role model and community leader, and her feelings about the first female coach in the big leagues, Alyssa Nacken, the first female general manager, Kim Eng, and the first female vice president, of the United States, Kamala Harris, who was born in Oakland and raised in Berkeley, like Rennell. Well, hi, Rennell. Welcome to the podcast. And I hope you and yours are safe and healthy as the world deals with this terrible pandemic. Oh, my gosh. I know. Thank you. Thank you, John. We're, we're hanging in there. And uh, thanks for having me. I hope the, the same for you and your loved ones. This is really something. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, first of all, I got to say congratulations. I mean, I was at the ballpark for all the home games this year in the writer's box just below where you were in the broadcast level where you conducted your business as the PA announcer of the Giants. And I heard your voice and I heard you announce the lineups and I heard you introduce players and uh, announce the starting time, the scoring decisions um, like normal. Like, and, and I heard you wrap up the game and say when the next game was all that. But you did it beautifully in an empty ballpark, which a year ago I would have never imagined. But please tell us how you possibly could have done all that. Well, thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. Um, it was it was a definitely a challenging challenging season, but um, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I absolutely love what I do. And, um, and I felt, you know, a responsibility to, to, to do my job as if it were, you know, in a, in a normal situation, as if the world were still normal. You know, I knew how much uh, having baseball come back meant to the fans. I knew how much the players were going through. I mean, you know, with the COVID testing and being away from their families and the challenges that they face. So I really wanted to make sure that I gave them you know, the normal energy, especially, you know, in, a, in an empty ballpark. So I just felt a real responsibility to try to bring some normalcy back for everybody involved, for the team, for the front office, for our fans. Um, it's been such a hard year. And, and I got that. I got that feedback that, you know, for three hours, you know, every day, you know, we, you know, fans were, you know, happy and watching baseball like the old days and distracted mm-hmm. from what was going on. So I just felt a real responsibility to, to, to do my job hundred percent like I do, do normally. But also John, I have to say that um, I really miss the fans because I really feed off their energy. But once, once I turn my microphone on, whether I'm on a stage uh, in front of a TV camera at the ballpark or in the radio studio, that's, that's really my happy place. 
And that first game, we actually did an intra-squad game uh, before the home opener. And it just felt, <laughs> even though we were separated by shower curtains, you know, in the PA booth and we all had to get tested and we had, you know, hand sanitizing stations all over the place, you know, it, you know, even though we had to go through all of that, the whole experience felt very normal. So it was very different yet very normal. Once it was time, once I said, you know, good evening and welcome to Oracle Park, I, I'm, I'm off and running. That's all I need. And, and I think you've admitted over the years that you, your energy sometimes will come from fans, right? And, 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 and I'm, I'm wondering how you produce that energy without the fans. And obviously there was pumped in noise and there were cut out fans, but it's not quite the same. Right. Yeah, I really do. I, I really do respond to the energy of the fans, you know, and, and the game action and everything. But um, it, it's funny how the piped in crowd noise, you know, we were all kind of, you know, riffing on it and, and joking about it. Yeah. But once it happened, you know, I mean, after the first couple of minutes, like after the first inning, it just felt normal. So that that really did help. But, there, you know, there were times, you know, during some of the games where, you know, I really... I could have used, you know, 40,000 on their feet, you know, for sure. But um, I just feel really lucky in the first place, John, that I was able to go back to work because, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't even, I really was one of the people that didn't see the season happening. I didn't see it starting, let alone ha having it finish, you know, um, especially since, you know, we started out with an outbreak outbreak in, in Miami and there mm -hmm. were, you know, a couple yeah. other situations, but um so I just I just kind of found a way to make it work. And again, I, I, I just keep going back to the fact that I, I want to give the fans who are watching and listening um, what they what they're used to. And I wanted to give the players what they're used to. I want to just make it as normal as, as I could definitely miss the fans. But I um, was able to just kind of find my way because I just really I just love what I do, whether granted, it's way better with 40,000 enthusiastic fans, but. Uh, that's just my, it was just my happy place. I was so grateful and felt so fortunate to be able to, to, to be at work when so many people were, you know, are still struggling, were out of work. And, you know, so I just felt really fortunate. So that's kind of what drove me through each game. Just really, just a grateful heart. Well, I must admit from a personal standpoint, I felt spoiled. I mean, it was, it was maybe 10 or 12 people in our press box, uh, a couple <laughs> of executives behind the backstop, four umpires. And then the teams, and that was it. And I was, I was extremely impressed with how you did your job. And I, I could have easily closed my eyes and imagined a full house. It was, wow. it was unpresentable. I mean, I, I always appreciated what you did and what you've done. But this, I mean, considering the obstacles, and I've told others this, that walking out of the park with them. So I, I think you like took it to another level. I mean, I don't know if it's okay if I tell you that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I would have to say, John, it maybe too is also my radio background because doing morning radio for, you know, almost 30 years, um, it's just me in the studio, but I know I have an audience of commuters in their cars or at work. You know what I mean? So I think my radio background kind of helped me be able to do a game without, without fans. Cause I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm used to being in a studio, but always remembering that I'm talking to you know, people in their cars or people at work or people in the kitchen, you know, making breakfast. So I can always visualize that I have an audience. So I think maybe my radio background, 
I hadn't thought about that until just this moment, actually, John. I mm. think maybe that really served me well this season. Sure. Well, I, uh, here's an example. Uh, early September, Madison Bumgarner showed up at the ballpark, and you were there from the start of his career through the championships to the end of it all in 2019, and then he comes back as a Diamondback. And that game was anticlimactic. I mean, there was no fire on the mountain. Buster Posey wasn't there to hit off him. Uh, Crawford didn't face only Brandon Belt, who goes back to the World Series days, stepped in the box and he hit a, he hit a little dribbler. But how, how did that feel to you? And how did you handle Bumgarner when calling his name? Because different players bring different energy in your voice, right? Yes, absolutely. And obviously for visiting players, they don't, they get very little energy, <laughs> very little enthusiasm, but I had to kind of, you know, I had to kind of give him a little something because mm -hmm. he's a forever giant, you know, so he probably got a little bit more than, you know, a visiting starting pitcher would get, but and I had thought about that, you know, when he signed with the Diamondbacks. I, it's the first thing I thought about, you know, how am I going to do that when he comes as a, as a visitor next year? It's going to be it's going to be crazy. But, you know, John, I know you feel the same way. We, we missed the fans being able to welcome him back. You know, that's what I was really looking forward to, how bananas that place would have gone mm -hmm. if we would have had a full house when he returned and the ovation and the applause and, and the reaction that he would have gotten. So I, I really I really missed having the fans in the house for that. But it was even going through my script and the lineup before the game. I, in fact, I think I tweeted it out. I go, well, this is weird, you know, <laughs> you know, and now for the visiting Arizona Diamondbacks, how am I going to do this guys? Yeah. How, how, how do I approach this? So it was definitely yeah. different, but players that forever giants that come and go, when they come back to the ballpark, I try to give them a, just a little extra something. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, Nicole Vogelsong tweeted me and said, um, she said, you got this. We remember when, when Ryan came back and, and, uh, and, how you, and how we could tell you gave him a little extra love. So they're, they're catching what I'm throwing out there sometimes, John. We'll be back with more of Rennell Brooks Moon right after this. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This was your 21st season, I believe, right? Yeah. You, I mean, you've... Yeah. Uh, uh, you've been a trailblazer. Let's, let's just, I mean, in and out of the industry. I mean, Sherry Davis, I go back to Candlestick. I and yeah. Yeah. the PA for the Giants in those final years. And you were the one when the new park opened and the, the only woman in the major leagues with such a role. And now we have uh, Marisol Castro of the Mets. And, and this yeah. year in Oakland across the Bay with Dick Callahan sitting out with health uh, issues. Uh, um, Amelia Chamel uh, was the voice at the Coliseum, and and uh, what, what what does your role mean to you? A role model to young girls and young boys, as someone who broke down those barriers and maybe made it easier for the next generation to break through. Oh yeah, that's that's what means the most to me. That's the most rewarding part 
uh, of this job. Um, it, I've always said, John, that this job is bigger than me. It comes with such a huge responsibility. Um, you know, when I first got hired in 2000 and absolutely shout out to Sherry Davis, who, mm -hmm. you know, without her, I wouldn't have had this opportunity. So I appreciate her contribution so much. And she sent me a really lovely note when I got, when I got hired. Mm -hmm. um, and, being a, and, and being a black woman um, and thinking of all, um, thinking of the Negro League history of this game and thinking how this game is treated, you know, it's black players over the years. I, I, you know, that's not lost on me. Uh, when I got hired in, in every game, in fact, that I do. And, um, and I, know, I know how much this job means to, to young women and young girls that want to do this. I know how much it means to my uh, community that I, that I got this job. Um, it's, it, you know, and I come from a trailblazer. My dad was the first African-American high school principal in San Francisco. Right. So I, um, I, I was always, um, you know, I was always raised to know that you know, um, it's important to, to give back to your community. It's important to be active in your community, um, whatever career path I would have chosen. So it just really means the world to me. And, and Marisol with the Mets and I are, we're besties. Mm. You know, I reached out to her on Twitter as, as soon as she got hired and we've since met and we stay in touch. And, and then, uh, Amelia, I reached out to her as well when, uh, when, when she, uh, mm. when she was on the mic this season. And I said, this is really cool that there are two women, you know, uh, in the Bay area for the, for our Bay area baseball teams on the mic as PA announcers. That's certainly something I didn't see happening, you know, when I was a little girl. So, mm -hmm. and it's, it's wonderful to see the growth now with women, you know, in baseball in the 21 years that I've been there, um, the growth in the, in the front office, as well as in the entertainment departments and, and on the mic and in broadcasting as well. Amy G and I are really good friends. In fact, we knew each other before either one of us was working for the Giants. So it's, it's really the most, most rewarding part of what I do, that I can be an inspiration, that I can be a role model, and that I can show little girls and young women possibilities that I didn't have when I was a little girl. John, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. I, there were no women on the radio, certainly no women uh, doing any kind of sports when I was a little girl. So this wasn't even possible for me. People ask me all the time, did you dream this as a little girl? Well, I couldn't. It wasn't, it was not something that was in my wheelhouse, if I may use that mm -hmm. term, it wasn't something I could ever see myself doing, not even going on the radio. It wasn't something that I, I thought was possible. So it's the best part of my job. Well, speaking of which, um, it, it is 2020 and, you know, God knows how many reasons we want to fast forward to 2021. <laughs> there, there is a wonderful part of 2020 that we can't overlook. And there are three names I want to pass by you. One, one is the vice president-elect, and, and one is the new general manager of the, of the Marlins. But, but, but first, this was the first year a female coach joined a major league coaching staff, Alyssa Nacken, on Gabe Kapler's staff, and you know she did a great job as someone who had a bunch of roles, um, and I saw it firsthand. She really commands attention in the room, and by the way, what a great interview. I think she was my last interview in spring training before everything closed down. In fact, in fact, I think she, she might have been my last handshake, uh, Alyssa and Joey Amalfitano, I think. Uh, oh, wow. It's, it's been six months since I shook anyone. How about that? But but your thoughts on Alyssa, um, who, who, um, who got some work as the first base coach in an exhibition uh, with the A's and 
was seen in the dugout during the regular season was really instrumental behind the scenes. And I, I imagine um, you you might have known her beforehand. And she's got she's been in the organization for quite a while. Yeah, I know. I hadn't I hadn't known her. I, in fact, mm -hmm. we just met in February at the the town hall that we do the night before Fan Fest. Um, that, that was the first time we met and we had a very long, loving embrace, you know, just sister to sister and it was great. But of course I knew, I knew of her and I was so, so thrilled uh, when she got the hire. And I, there was another moment I was just so proud to be a part of this organization because, you know, the Giants are so um, progressive in so, so many ways. And, and here's another way that they were bringing Alyssa on board and to be able to announce her, you know, coaching at first base is a, is that's a game I'll never forget. I was super excited about that. Um, but it's, it's just been wonderful to see, you know, John, I, I often tell everyone I was the only woman in our entertainment department um, in 2000 yes. when I first got hired and to, to see the young women that are coming up in the front office now has just warmed my heart, many of whom work in our department that I've embraced and, and mentored over, over the years. And uh, just to see the progress that we've made just this year alone, I was thinking how the, the season started with Alyssa's hire and it ends with Kim's hire. I mean, talk about a, mm -hmm. a full circle moment right there. And it just, it's just so thrilling and it makes me really feel like the future really is changing and you know we're finally getting some opportunities you know we as as women and and as women of color really really deserve and and have worked so hard Alyssa's worked so so hard yeah Kamala worked so so hard Kim worked so so hard starting out as an intern for the White Sox you know and and, and for these little girls to see this happening what I wouldn't have given John if I could have seen seen these three women or women like them when I was a young girl, you know, it's just, it makes me wish I had a daughter. It really mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. It really, really does. Well, I have one and I uh, had great conversations with her after each one of these hires and, mm. um, you know, lengthy talks about what it means to her and uh, her generation, which uh, I believe is going to be pretty awesome here. Uh, knowing her and knowing the, the people she hangs with and the discussions they have. But you know, hey, Kamala Harris, I mean, she's from your backyard, our backyard, Oakland native, grew up in Berkeley, Cal Law School, um, different roles around the Bay in the state, prosecutor, district attorney, attorney general, all that. But, and now first African-American as a vice president, first South Asian American as a vice president and first woman vice president of the United States. I mean, can we yet grasp the significance of this, what it means to our future for all the races and backgrounds for this generation and those, to, um, what, what it means to you? Oh my God. Um, I mean, I still get really emotional thinking about it. I, I haven't stopped smiling and I've had the opportunity to say Madam Vice President-elect a lot of times, which sounds so amazing uh, in a lot of uh, work that I've been doing since, uh, since she was elected. I, um, real special, John, I, um, I was born in Kaiser Hospital, Oakland, as was she. Uh, lived in Berkeley for a little while, as did she. Mm -hmm. um, she was on my radio show when she ran for DA of San Francisco. 
that was a that was just a thrill. And you know, who knew? You know, uh, we we actually did know that was just the beginning. Yeah, right. You know? We could have never imagined, you know, Madam Vice President in 2020, but we knew San Francisco DA was just the beginning for her. So it was such a thrill to have her on my show and, and help on that campaign. And she invited my husband and I to her swearing in. So I just feel a real, real uh, kinship with her. And, um, you know, everything happens in the universe as it should. And she is the right, right woman at the right time for this challenge and just to see just to watch the news and watch social media and see um see the asian community and the black community and little girls and then just i mean the lgbt lgbtq community we all just em embraced this moment everybody's you know rooting for her and you know, people in the streets dancing and signs up and you know posters and her picture and uh, you know, it, it, it feels very similar to, you know, when, uh, when Barack won, uh, in 2008 mm. and the, the hope and the possibilities and really feeling like we, we are, we are on our way to maybe hopefully, um, um, hopefully having our leadership reflect what the country really looks like. And I'm very encouraged by President-elect Biden's, um, uh, the staff uh, the staff assignments that he's already um, hired and the, in the, some of the cabinet names that are being, being thrown about. It looks really diverse and it just, you know, I'm 62 and this is the first time I really feel like we are maybe finally on our way. Lord knows the country is still super divided and we've got so mm -hmm. much work to do, but this is, this is, this is really the first time uh, in my life that I've felt a lot of hope. And you're talking about your daughter. A lot of it has to do with the younger generation, you know, after George Floyd's murder and what the only thing that got me through those difficult days and weeks and months was watching young people really take it to the streets really be moved by what is happening and really fighting for change. So as, as much of a bitch of a year, if I can say that, John, mm -hmm, it's sure. been such a hellish year, but there is so much that leaves me with so much hope right now. And Kamala is one of the reasons why. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned this. I mean, you know, first of all, your role with the Giants, it just seems to have grown. Uh, it's not just the PA work, which is enough as is, it's everything. And I would say in many ways, you're a face of the franchise. You make a bunch of appearances and this goes back to your radio days at KMEL and KISS FM. And, and I love that you use social media and other forums to express your feelings, including on the important issues of the day. So this year, Gabe Kapler comes along and the national anthem is played in the wake of Breonna Taylor, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, uh, you mentioned uh, on and on the, the fight against police brutality, against systemic racism, against social injustice. And Kapler takes a knee and makes it possible for players to, to take a knee. And, and I was there in Oakland the day that Bruce Maxwell, the catcher of the A's, took a knee a few years ago. Mm -hmm. he, he got booed on the road. He, he maybe got, he was all alone. 
he maybe yeah. got blackballed from the game. And, and, and now 2020, it, it was powerful stuff. It was historic stuff. And, and you right after on Twitter, thanks, you know, you thank Kepler and, um, um, you know, about how much, you know, that, that meant to you. And I talked to Farhan Zaidi and he said that the staff and the manager and the players were thankful that you, you know, went to social media to, to express your views, to respond positively and gratefully mm-hmm. about what they did that day. And they continued to take a, a, a knee. So that was, that was powerful stuff. And you, you were part of it. I was, John, I can't tell you how moved I was by that. And I've really gotten to know Gabe um, throughout the season. I didn't really know him that well at the beginning of the season. In fact, I met him again at the town hall in February for the first time. And of course we know he came, you know, wasn't the most popular choice Mm -hmm. and came with some baggage. And what I really appreciated at the town hall that night um, was uh, when I introduced him and he came on stage, he asked permission to give me a hug. And I, I, I was really, really moved by that because I've been thinking of 20 years of, you know, or really even my radio career, how, um, you know, everybody just really kind of brings it in. But based on what he had been through and the baggage that he came with, he made sure that he asked permission to hug me, which I really appreciated. Um, and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, so I really appreciated that. So. Um, and then um, when he took the knee that night and then I got to learn more about him and you know that his parents were activists and, and how, and then I got to learn that, that he'd been doing a lot of stuff in the community that a lot of people didn't really know about um, when the pandemic first hit, when we were sheltered in place at first. He really has been really super active in the community in ways that I don't think a lot of people know about. But he took the knee that night and, uh, really moved me. And then the next morning after I sent out the tweet, I, I woke up to all of these interview requests from around the country, from different sports outlets and news outlets. Um, Cause I, I, you know, everybody caught on to my tweet, which I'm just tweeting emotionally at home, watching the game and everything, you know, and, um, and was really surprised that I w- was being asked to, to speak out on it. And then I was like, well, I guess, you know, I do, I do have a pretty high profile position here. I am a black woman. So I guess it would stand to reason that they would reach out to me. And I did absolutely every interview request that was asked of me, John, because I felt it was important. You know, unfortunately we don't, you know, we had Jalen Davis at the time, but we, you know, and then he was sent to to the alternate site, but, you know, we don't have black coaches and black players on the team, which, you know, is, is something that I've, you know, spoken out about as well. Um, so I felt a responsibility here again that, you know, I got to talk about this. I'm, you know, I'm one of the black faces of this organization. I got to talk about it. So I was really moved by it. And then um, I was getting my COVID test again, the new normal, um, the day they were leaving to open the season in LA. And I was at the park and the guys were getting on the buses and um, I got to wave to my Johnny Cueto and my Pablo since I couldn't hug or shake anybody's hands or anything. But then John Hunter Pence Uh, made a point of coming over to speak to me before I got in my car. And we had about a 15 minute powerful conversation. He was in tears. 
I was in tears. I was thanking him for, you know, putting himself out there like that. And he was thanking me for my community service. And um, he really shared some really wonderful things with me about how that he actually said to me that was one of the most important things he would ever do on a baseball field was was take a knee in this moment to fight for social justice. And that just blew me away. I hope he's okay with me sharing that. Um, but that that just knocked me out. And again, I was just just so proud to work for this organization and to see Austin Slater and Mauricio and Pablo and Yaz. I mean, I'm welling up now just thinking about it again. Um, it just made me so proud. And, and Gabe and I have, have since really gotten close. In fact, he helped me out for a fundraiser that I did um, last night for one of my nonprofits. And he made a special appearance and he said, you know, just reach out whenever you need me. And in, in fact, when I tweeted him that night, John, I know I'm kind of all over the place because I'm emotional, but when I no, tweeted I'm... him that night, he tweeted me back the next morning and he said, he said, no, Rennell, thank you for all that you do. And I was just, I was just blown away. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Splash. Stay tuned for part two of the podcast with our guest, Rennell Brooks-Moon, when we discuss the Giants' role in the Black Lives Matter movement, diversity issues in baseball and with the Giants, and some great stories about her parents and Willie Mays and Willie McCovey. The Giant Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Podcast producers are King Kaufman and Alan Johnson. The theme song, Batter Up, was written and performed by Lauren Gold and Ray Eastless. Support The Splash and all of our great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.